mean, this is lunacy, and it doesn't make sense at all. Okay, buddy, you're speaking to me again. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, is like my tech stocks on the TSX are also down 20, 25%. So it's like, meh. I mean, Chate <laughs> is, you know he's going for the boomer vote. Oh, and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America. And right there on your podcast app, I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, checking back in. And we're checking in with David, back from Europe. He's tanned, uh, chiseled, looking good, feeling good. How goes it, my man? <laughs> uh, it's good. It's good. Very good. Uh, weather's nice. Getting out to golf. It feels like summer's finally here. Yeah. Life is life is pretty good right now. No complaints. All right. Well, uh, you know, as good as it might be for uh, your humble host here, there's a couple of things that we're breaking down here on the program. Last week, you heard our colleague um, Anna Arunashvili. Uh, we were able to check in with her and understand a bit more about what she's working on and uh, what it's like living in Georgia, the Republic of Georgia, and what's happening there. I wanted to get into a few topics today, and then we'll also play a clip uh, later in the program for our last segment an interview uh, that was uh, conducted by a colleague of ours, uh, Michael Landel, will be speaking with a Professor Bant Maya, doctor professor uh, from the University of Graz. Uh, he is uh, one of the most world-renowned experts when it comes to the impact and effects of nicotine. I thought it was something interesting to share on the program. Uh, why not? Get some more exposure, and uh, you can find out more about that uh, heading on over to our website, consumerchoicecenter.org. But in the meantime, David... Uh, we're looking at the aisles, we're looking at the pantries, we're looking at the grocery stores, and we're starting to run out of items, particularly one that's important for growing families, and um, yeah. it seems as if there's a good amount of, uh, of government uh, that has uh, led to this shortfall, as it were. Yeah, so in the United States, there's a big baby formula shortage, Um at first, people were kind of wondering, well, how did this happen? Like, is this a supply chain thing? Is this just like a an issue with, with because of COVID or something? And uh, lo and behold, you do. You scratch an inch beneath the surface and you find out that there are heavy, heavy tariffs um, on imported baby formula. And there are actually like supply quotas for domestic production in the United States for baby formula. And so... A rigged system is failing, which is really unfortunate, but it's not surprising. Um, and it's, it, it is, I mean, that is a huge problem um, for parents who need baby formula. I mean, that's, uh, it, it doesn't really get much more important than that. Um, and Very true. Yeah, and, just uh, not good. This is not the, uh, it's not the first time that we've had, uh, you know, some kind of, Discussion about baby formula, at least on this program, and also our colleague Maria Chaplia wrote an article um, some years ago about a baby formula. And uh, the World Health Organization, if you remember, uh, this is the organization that is uh, well-primed to talk about uh, pandemics and uh, keeping us all safe. Uh, actually, if we go back many months and years, uh, they've had a constant campaign against uh, baby formulas, baby milk uh, formulas that are sold by companies. Um, they have all kinds of stuff on the website about how it's all, all the advertising must end. We have to protect children and families. We need to try to get this stuff, get people back on natural breastfeeding, which, uh, you know, we can get into the 
uh, pregnancy aspects. You know, there's there are a lot of people who are able to breastfeed, but there are many others who aren't, and uh, we certainly don't need our international or supra international government institutions and organizations uh, telling us no. And uh, it's it's unfortunate. And now we have these things weighing out. Uh, inflation is hitting hard, Nate. Yeah, yeah. It's there's there's a lot of levels here. I mean, there are people who there are women who can't. Um, there are women who choose not to, which is totally fine and respectable. The whole, like, we need to, the, the government or super government institutions need to intervene and try and push in one direction over another just seems so strange to me, especially when you consider that in in many instances, some of the people who are trying to like put restrictions on baby formula are the same people who say my body, my choice. Um, and it's like, whoa, guys, Ooh, like you're getting, you're getting uh, us into dangerous territory there, David. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, it, the hypocrisy is just so thick that it's like, okay. I mean, the abortion debate is front and center now in the United States and it's going to get very heated and very ugly. And you have people talking about a woman's right to choose and, I agree, what like wholeheartedly, but it doesn't end at reproductive rights. It, surely that choice includes um, whether or not they're going to breastfeed. And it's like, how how is there just such a monumental blind spot for these dummies? And and oh, it and the the crazy thing is, is I see this develop on Twitter, and people be like, well, what did people do before baby formula? And some some historian chimed in. It was like, well, children died. <laughs> that was the outcome. <laughs> because sometimes there are limitations on the ability to breastfeed. And you, if that's the case and there is no baby formula, well, it's where you get malnourishment, all sorts of issues with stunting. It's like, let's not. Maybe the U.S. should just get rid of its quota system um, and then allow for Americans to buy international products. That is probably the best way to alleviate the crisis. Speaking uh, of quotas, David. Yeah, it's just... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, kind of a good way to, to jump into that one. So speaking of that, uh, what we had in Canada is a recent uh, a debate amongst the leadership candidates for the Conservative Party, and the issue of quotas was, was mentioned, specifically on agricultural products, and I saw that you over there on the tweeters had something to, to say about it. Um, but give us the kind of lay of the land of the uh, the debates that happened here in the recent week uh, and what uh, what we kind of have learned about the candidates uh, to be the one to face uh, Justin Trudeau, perhaps in the next election in Canada. Yeah. So one of the one of the questions was, would do you support supply management? They kind of went down the line of like, okay, do you support supply management? Um, which for listeners, if they don't know, is a really dumb system of quotas and high tariffs on um, on imports of dairy and, and poultry and eggs. Uh, and it inflates prices for the average family about $500 a year. It pushes over 100,000 people under the poverty line. Like It's a really bad policy to, to benefit 6,000, 7,000 dairy farmers. Um, and so they went across, the, like, here's essentially everyone's answers. Leslie Lewis supports supply management. Roman Baber does not support supply management. Um, Patrick Brown 
said that he's opened a consultation on it, which is kind of like a middle non-answer. Jean Charest unequivocally supports supply management, um, which I think is just brutal. Um, then you had Scott Aitchison, who opposes supply management. And you have Pierre Polyev, who I think for most people is the front runner, essentially saying he supports supply management because it would cost too much to buy the quota out, which I think is, is a uh, it's a nice rhetorical trick because it tries to frame it in the lens of fiscal conservatism. But it's a it's a lie. It's not true. Um, the figures that he was promoting or saying in regards to what it would cost are nowhere near what it would cost. Uh, Australia did it, and the the sky did not fall. Um, certainly, if they can do it, we did can. Did they do also it. get the so, milk? Is the biggest question there? That's what we have to understand. Yeah. Did they? Yeah. Um, so I mean, tough start. Tough start yeah, true. to the leadership debate. Um, I mean, there's no, there is no conservative justification for supply management other than political gamesmanship yeah yeah that's and it, it relates exactly back to the quota that you mentioned in the united states and you know this kind of thing where we have governments that are setting um whatever controls that there should be on the, the supply of a particular product uh and likely uh we will be seeing price controls uh coming in very soon so uh hello 1970s we're going right back to <laughs> high gas prices unemployment uh, we're going to have some price controls, and uh, yeah, why not seize everybody's gold while we're at it? Uh, but the the debate that we mentioned, we can, we'll go into a, sort of a deeper dive on the next segment, David. But we had two different debates, uh, kind of a different atmosphere. One uh, sort of held at a, a, a conservative conference. Uh, you had, you know, a lot of open jabs, a lot of back and forth, and then the second one hosted by Global News, a sort of a big national uh, TV channel chain uh, just like not speaking about the content but just the presentation uh what did you think of, of the two debates um the, the first one felt a little too niche um they went with kind of independent moderators which is but it has its pros and cons it felt very i don't know it, it i i watched it and i was not i didn't leave it going oh that was a great format um the just a lot of a lot of weird talking past each other and using time to was I, I wasn't a fan um the second one from global news they threw in some fun questions like what are you reading which none of almost none of the candidates were prepared to answer or like what do you listen what is to? a book you could see <laughs> yeah you could see the look of panic on some of the candidates faces when they were asked what they were reading and <laughs> It's like, well, on the campaign trail, there isn't really much time to sit down and read a book. And it's like, dude, just say the last book you read. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, come on. They, they just don't want to say uh, Harry Potter or something, but, you know, or yeah, marriage, I mean, vacation. Uh, they just I mean, don't want to admit it. I mean, that actually, that actually would have been the perfect answer. Imagine if it was like, what's the last book you read? And it's like, well, I was reading Goodnight Moon to my daughter. Um, a few nights ago for bedtime. That would have been the perfect answer of like, aw. Yeah, connecting with um, the people, no, not bringing up strange academic texts. I like the answer that uh, Scott Aitchison gave. Um, what, what was the last book you read? Water. Oh, I was given to me by This Is That, and you know, it's about water. I was like, what's the name of the book? Water. 
water. <laughs> it's like, what the hell then, is going on? And then he, yeah, I know. And then he jokingly, he's like, would you like for me to explain the premise of the book? <laughs> Did you do your book report? Uh, we'll see about that. Yeah. And, uh, obviously, uh, Pierre Poilievre, uh, you know, he brings up the Jordan Peterson reference. Uh, there's a lot of milestones in this debate, but surely uh, Jordan Peterson being invoked oh, yeah. uh, in a big debate is uh, it's a good, big deal. Good, big deal for the ego there. He might as well be stroking his beard and his chin right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, Yael, if I were to ask you, what, do you li- what music do you listen to? It would not take you very long to come up with an answer. No, I I, I assume. No, no, not at all. I, I have that right. Yeah, I have that. Uh, let me. Uh, um, Miley Cyrus. I see her on the Spotify. No, <laughs> no, but it, it is true that you know, for these people, they are essentially they have to be political robots. You know, during these campaigns and debates, and you know, they're not thinking about that. They're thinking about how to calculate this or how to respond to supply management without pissing off the wrong people, and then. And they're asked about which tome uh, they recently have dug their nose into. Uh, uh, yeah. I can imagine, yeah, it was a bit tough uh, for a lot of people. Oh, I'm reading a biography on, uh, yeah, Winston Churchill. That's normally a good answer. Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, is that that could have been one of my answers because um, one of the books that I am reading is about Winston Churchill in his first uh, year as prime minister during the war. Which would have sounded totally cliche, but it was true. But I mean, I could have listed off like any of the last ten books that I've read as a book. It's like, oh yeah, what do you listen to? I mean, what was the last song that you heard? Come on, guys. Well, do you? Uh, I actually use something like Goodreads to track it. Do you use anything like that, or no? But I should. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good way to do it as well. To the social network aspect, I think it was bought by Amazon, of course. But it has a great yeah. ability to see sort of what your friends are reading, and then it recommends other books, and, and I think that's pretty cool. I, I wish I did read more of the Kindle stuff. Uh, I just cannot get used yeah. to reading the Kindle. I can do the... Uh, a screen. I can't do I can't it. do it on the iPad. I can do it if it's the Kindle alone, Paperwhite or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it has to be a vacation. Well, because they... Yeah, but they make it... The background is different. It reads more like print. Rather than the blue light, I think it's the blue light of the screen um, that makes, at least for me, makes it more difficult to like actually read and focus on a screen long term. Maybe I should get some but, of the blue light glasses, and then I'll I'll be, I'll be fine. I'll be looking good and feeling good, and uh, perhaps I'll, I'll look a bit smarter <laughs> if I'm up on a debate stage at some point in the future. Yeah. All right, David. So let's <laughs> dig into this a bit more. I've got uh, just one or two clips uh, from the debate we can go to, uh, but apart from that, you guys uh, keep listening. Uh, to Consumer Choice Radio. We'll be right back with this, and we've got a nice little interview segment coming up. So keep listening. Stay tuned in. We'll be right back after this. Hello, and welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio, coming to you on Saga 960 AM and on all of your podcast apps, Yael. Um, Let's go into what we think of the candidates so far. Um, I mean, I can give you my quick 30-second synopsis of each candidate. Um, I have some very blunt assessments, um, and uh, I'm interested to hear if if my assessment resonates with you. All right, well, I think there was an answer to one question that I did very, very much appreciate, and I felt spoke right to me, um, so okay. I'll go ahead and play that clip. Uh, Amy Winehouse. When I- uh, Amy Winehouse. When I hear Amy Winehouse, I can see into her soul. 
she speaks to issues of addiction and mental health, something that people know that I'm very, very passionate about. And she left us too early. Uh, but uh, yeah, Amy Winehouse, back to black. Okay. That's right, boy. Uh, so yeah. related to that, uh, there was an article by uh, your buddy there, uh, Mr. Andrew Coyne, one of the top columnists in Canada. Uh, let me find the actual headline. I don't know if you have that at the ready. Uh, here we go. Vaccine refusal? Blockades? Bitcoin? What does any of this have to do with conservatism? And for me, I was like, well, that's exactly, I think they're all speaking to me. Novax passes, Bitcoin, <laughs> pipelines. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. I'm a minority, yeah. though. Uh, I mean, I kind of understand what, I, I'll get to, I, that was more about Pierre in some sense, because he has like an ongoing feud with Pierre. But, oh, axe to okay, so here's tell my, me about it. Yeah. yeah, they yeah they do not like each other. So here here's my synopsis of the candidates. Leslie Lewis, um progressively gets worse when faced with tough questions and is put on the spot. I agree. Uh, I agree. Yeah, just like continues to perform more poorly the more the camera is in front of her. Um, Roman Baber, in person, sounds great, but he's an entirely different person online, and I really don't like that. I don't like the... like. He sounds like a totally reasonable person on the debate stage he's compassionate and then you look at some of his online presence or some of the emails he sends out about canada's a communist country and it's like dude uh, who which one of you is you um, that's pretty normal though for uh political campaigns i mean i think uh I don't know if you're. I mean, there's a if difference. If you subscribe to heating. any NPD or uh, if you look at any, you know, American Democrat emails. Oh, of course, yes. You know, Republicans are about to make uh, interracial marriage illegal. But there's a difference between um, dialing up the rhetoric and just uh, coming across as like a totally different person. Uh, at least that's my read. Um, Jean Charest seems like a very um, capable statesman on stage but he leaves me uninspired i think he's i don't i'm actually concerned how good he did in most of these yeah he does very well he does very well he raises his voice he commands authority mm -hmm. uh all the stuff that uh pi polyev said about him you know he raised taxes all that stuff is true but he would oh, he would bat it, it away and and just you know talk about something else i'm like damn that's very masterful uh, I definitely did not like him when he was premier of Quebec when I lived there, but to see him there, it's like concerning that he did so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just he—you can tell he's been here before. This is not new. He's very good at this, and you can see it. Um, you have Patrick Brown. Uh, I think he spent way too much time not trying to appeal to existing conservative voters. So he's, he's been criticized for spending a lot of time trying just solely focused on signing up new members. I mean, that might be a strategy to win, um, to win Toronto, the leadership race. Yeah. But <laughs> nobody outside of, of the GTA or even Ontario would know who Patrick Brown is. And it's like, you have to raise your profile across the country. Um, and specifically with the people who were conservative members six months ago, not just the ones that you're signing up now. Uh, Wondering your take Scotty, on, uh, before we move on, 
I was wondering mm-hmm. your take on the back and forth with these ridiculous paddles or whatever that was. Oh, um, what? But I know. the uh, back and forth on the blockades. And there was this, you know, as we've seen uh, previously, and the government did this as well, this kind of conflating of blockades on bridges uh, versus the decampment in downtown Ottawa and the trucker convoy. And just an, an equalization on that and essentially saying that it's very irresponsible for someone who uh, is not in government, but he's an elected official who is, is sort of, uh, who made very positive statements towards the people coming. I mean, he... he did give a lot of qualifiers, you know, I support the peaceful protester, all this kind of stuff. So I was not perturbed by it. I think it is strange that they're using the we are the law and order party and we should not be, you know, trying to oppose this or we would have used more force. <laughs> I have no idea. I'm surprised the story did not come out. I think Baber tried to about how all of the reports uh, leading up to the invocation were false. I'm surprised no one dug yeah. into that. Well, not really. I think all that as someone on the stage needed to say if they really wanted to criticize Pierre on this is is just say, you can add in all of these qualifiers. The perception from the public is that you supported them, and that is going to be problematic if you are leading this party. You have fed the liberals their first attack ad. I think that would be a effective criticism rather than going back and forth about well, was it really support? Was it support for this part or that part? I don't know. Um, and on that note, I mean, so Scott Aitchison, I really, really like. We've had him on the program. He just seems like the like kinder, gentler conservative, but who still will take bold policy positions. The problem is, is that he needs to raise his profile across the country because he's even less known, I would say, than Patrick Brown. Yeah. Um, because he was the mayor of a small town, and then he was the, the he's the MP for that area. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done there. Well, a lot of um, big ideas, and I, I think I really did appreciate his tone on a lot of different things. I think he's probably right on mm-hmm. a lot. He just doesn't have the personality that you know most people who vote, particularly in primary elections, are really drawn to. But again, yeah. it's a ranked ballot, yeah. which does make this very very different than uh, other you know sort of leadership contests. And um, I'm glad you brought that up because I think we should probably devote a good chunk here to Pierre. I'm concerned. I think he's on a couple fronts. So first on abortion, he's fallen into the trap that Andrew Shear fell into. So Andrew Shear's original answer to the question of reproductive rights was, my government would not bring forward legislation to change this, and we wouldn't vote for legislation to change this. We kind of saw in real time in that election that that answer was not good enough. And I know, I, I mean, I can speculate as to why that's Pierre's answer. His answer is he wants Les and Lewis's second votes. He wants to be seen as the closest thing to Les and Lewis's views on the stage and get those second votes and ride that to win. Aaron O'Toole tried to do the same thing, and it did not particularly help him. Um, so, I mean, again, another softball that will probably come up um, as not being good enough. Let me oppose real quick, because I think sure. the way that it was explained, and I think he was rejecting the framing, which I, I sure. like and appreciate when candidates can do that. I th- from my memory, 
when it came when it came to Andrew Shear, it was less in the debates and it was more you know media criticism about his position on abortion. Yeah, and but, yes. but will it still be an important story once once the uh, the election, the primary election, is kind of down to the wire? That I don't know. Like maybe they, well, they I, get everything I think it done will in be the U.S. Because, then maybe it won't be an well, issue anymore. Well, it, the problem is, is that everything. Let's say with the draft opinion on Roe, it goes the way the draft opinion says. Roe is overturned. That is going to open up the debate in all fifty states in both directions. Canada has a very uncomfortable habit of importing U.S. politics as, into Canada. As the 51st state, yes. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to see that. It's going to leak over, and it's going to become an election issue. The Trudeau government's already bringing it up. And, I mean, it's like it's the meme from Star Wars. It's a trap. It's a trap. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, speaking of traps, uh, we saw one as well. Uh, Pierre, um, just to mention him again. Again, he's going after my vote uh, with this. Uh, Mr. Polyev. Well, that's just false. One, uh, Bitcoin is not a central bank digital currency. It is obviously not. A, it's not controlled by any central bank anywhere in the world. Two, people can make their own investment decisions. I've simply said they should be free to decide whether or not they want to use Bitcoin. I don't want to be like communist China and ban Bitcoin or other technologies, because in a free market, people should have the opportunity to make those decisions for themselves. That's so he, my position. So he's definitely speaking to the under 30s, and yeah, that's, well, that's good. And Leslie Lewis's critique of him was, for anyone who knows anything about cryptocurrencies, it was like, oh, you, like, I heard her say her question comment about Pierre, and I was like, oh. Oh, she doesn't know anything. Tell us, she goes, I think it's, tell us you I don't. I think it's funny you want to ban the central bank digital currency when you hawk Bitcoin, which is a digital currency. <laughs> Like, get out yeah, of it's like tell us you know nothing about Bitcoin without telling us you know nothing about Bitcoin. <laughs> and then we have uh, Jean Charest chimes in as well. Yeah. Well, on Bitcoin, I mean, everyone just finds it totally bizarre what Mr. Polyev is suggesting. We all get it on blockchain. That's fine. Bitcoin has lost 60% of its value since November of last year, 20% in the last month. Anyone following his advice that we saw on YouTube would have lost 20% of their earnings. Do you actually think your parents enjoy having your parents lose 20% of their retirement funds? I mean, this is lunacy, and it doesn't make sense at all. Okay, buddy, you're speaking to me again. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, is like my tech stocks on the TSX are also down 20, 25%. So it's like, meh. I mean, Chate <laughs> is, you know he's going for the boomer vote. We know this. Yeah, of course. Um, he, he definitely <laughs> he submitted that uh, with that comment. But overall, I, I really liked um, I really liked Babber as well. Obviously, what you say about online personality versus they're on stage. Uh, but it's like a necessary vote. So, you know, ranked. I'll probably throw him in there. Uh, I really like P.I. I really like Scott Agitson. I Yeah. Overall, I was, I was, you know, I thought it was fun. I think the global news debate format... Uh, was absolutely ridiculous, and they should never agree to it's do It's like this. they didn't take it seriously. Oh, it's a joke. It's, it was, yeah, and uh, and I think someone should have reminded them that like there is a serious possibility that the winner of this contest is the next Prime Minister of Canada, and could be the Prime Minister of Canada for a serious period of time. It's like they should have treated it with the uh, respect that that kind of... Um, 
that reality deserves and it just i don't know it left a lot to be desired i loved the questions about like their personal lives and things like that like that is all fine you just have to find a way of incorporating it appropriately um but like the paddle and the womp 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 if you mention trudeau and then yeah if people clap you get time taken away and if people boo yeah i mean what the heck is that yeah, I didn't understand. What, you wanted them to control the crowd? You just wanted them to be so uninteresting that nobody claps or, or boos? It's like, I, the whole point of doing this that, is to have a spectacle, to have you know television, to have production value. Yeah. You know, whoever was the executive producer of this outfit, uh, I don't think they're going to last there very long. And uh, once the government dollars dry up, uh, which Roman Babber did bring up as well, uh, yeah, yes. they're not going to stay there. No, no, they're not. Um uh, and then, yeah, I don't know. And then there's going to be a French debate, and I think two of the candidates actually speak French. It's going to be an absolute disaster. Um, so who, I guess it's, I mean, I don't, it's mostly Pierre and Charest, no? Correct. And like in terms of like fluently can go to linguistic battle in French, it's the two of them. I think Patrick Brown can can read. Um, and speak French in an elementary way. Lewis's French is non-existent. I would assume Baber's French is non-existent. I would assume Scott Aitchison's French is non-existent. He did mention he so did uh, will... French immersion, so maybe that helped him out. But if you're doing that as an adult... <laughs> who who did French immersion? Scott Aitchison. He mentioned that he did Oh, that. that's good. Okay, well, I mean, that might give him some of a base to bring it back, but if you don't practice, like if you don't use French... Consistently, I, I think the test for for Scott would be: Does he use the headset in Parliament when people speak in French? Oh, that's good. If if he doesn't, then he's actually probably fine. If he does, then we may be in trouble. That's true. Well, there's going to be much more uh, to come in the weeks to come, David. Until then, we've got a clip from uh, Doctor Bant Maya. Until next week, David. Yes, until next week. So let's start with the first question. Why should vaping be celebrated? Yeah, that's a pretty, pretty obvious answer to, to this question, because vaping is, by orders of magnitude, much safer than smoking. And it's a real, clear alternative. It's also an alternative to the typical medical products, like chewing gums or patches, because e-cigarettes allow you to keep up with your behavior, your conditioned behavior. You're used to it. As a smoker, you're used to a certain behavior for decades, sometimes for decades, or at least for years. You are used to that, you want that, yeah? and that's a habit that you, that's very difficult to get rid of. And I think this is the weakness of these chewing gums and patches, that they deliver nicotine, but they don't allow you to keep up with your behavior. And you, you said a lot of times already that it's less harmful than smoking. Why do you think is it not celebrated then, but quite the contrary, it is attacked from many sides? This is a question that I am asking myself since 15 years. It's very difficult to answer. I think I, I never exper expected that there will be such an opposition against this 
very safe alternatives to smoking, which really gives smokers a chance to easily quit without being hurt or without needing medical advice, just to just do it. Why, why the opposition? It's very, very hard to answer. Of course, it's the money. One motivation is money. E-cigarettes um, endanger the pharmaceutical industry, which makes a lot of money with nicotine replacement products, but also with anti-cancer drugs. And up to 40 or 50% of all cancers worldwide are directly or indirectly a consequence of smoking. So imagine that the, the incidence of cancers is, is reduced by 50%. Then, of course, this would be a, a big, big disadvantage for the pharmaceutical industry. So this is one thing. And the other thing is, of course, the taxes. Huh? So states make money with tobacco tax. And uh, finally, smokers tend to live shorter. So, huh? And, of course, old people produce costs, again, health costs and pensions and so on. So there's a lot of financial reasons to, to keep sm the smoking rates up. Huh? And the second thing is, uh, I think, and this is probably more important, is an ideological issue. So there are some health experts which, with good reason, try to reduce smoking rates. And they try to do everything. They increased prices. They banned smoking in public places and so on. They did whatever they could to reduce smoking rates, but they were not pretty, not very successful, in fact. Yeah? And now, suddenly, smokers have a chance to do it by themselves. They don't need the experts anymore. So the experts don't accept this, and they started to convert the, their fight against tobacco smoke to a fight against nicotine. Suddenly, we have an anti-nicotine war, yeah? which used to be a tobacco war. Nobody talked about nicotine. Everybody agreed that nicotine is not the problem. That's the reason why nicotine replacement products were approved as medical, medical um, uh, tools to stop smoking. If nicotine were indeed a highly addictive neurotoxin, it would never have been approved to, to be sold in pharmacies or, or in drugstores. And curiously, you didn't mention knowledge as a problem anymore, because what's puzzling for a lot of consumers is, I think, that especially those who proclaim at least to, want to, want to improve public health are also those who are the most anti-vaping politicians or, or public health advocates. So you don't think they don't know enough about vaping? Um, they would know, but they do it because of other reasons to oppose vaping? The experts do know it. I mean, I had in Germany, in particular in Germany, one of the most active anti-vaping person was uh, Dr. Pöchke Langer, yeah? and I had many debates with her, and she exactly knew about the, about the safety of e-cigarettes. She always said, okay, e-cigarettes are less harmful than cigarettes. And then she started with a but. And with every sentence that, that includes a but, you, you can forget what came before the but. You know, when you say, say to a woman, oh, you are a very attractive woman, but. So, you know, you, she won't be amused. So I think they know very well what's going on, and they have an agenda, a clear agenda, to avoid the vaping. They need to avoid it for the reasons I just mentioned. This is money and ideology. They are against everything that produces clouds 
except maybe kitchen pots or so. Yeah, and we, we, we see also uh, one of the m most attacked parts of vaping, if you want to call it like this, are the flavors. Are those <laughs> parts of this agenda? Because they don't want to say, we want to ban it outright. Is then the next easiest target the flavors? <laughs> the flavors are easy. I mean, they want to, I, th I mean, I'm not, not really in the scene, yeah? but I think they would like to ban it, ban e-cigarettes completely. But that's very hard to, to get through because there's no real argument. So they're searching for certain arguments. And one argument is the flavors. And they claim that teenagers are attracted to flavors. Grown-ups like me, real men, Marlboro men, you know, they vape Marlboro taste, they vape tobacco, and just the kids vape strawberry and mango, etc. Yeah? But I, this is, of course, wrong, and they exactly know that it's wrong. There are a lot of studies out showing that grown-up vapors uh, prefer fruit flavors or candy flavors, and that tobacco flavors are, is, is used by a minority of the vapors. So this is just an, an easy argument yeah, to make e-cigarettes less attractive. So they try to put on um, taxes, they make it more expensive, and they ban flavors to make them less attractive. So they do their best to just avoid that smokers are attracted by e-cigarettes and could switch. So I'm glad that there are studies out that I can admit that I vape watermelon. Yeah. Uh, and I'm oh, still a man. Watermelon is... <laughs> I just, at this one, there's just one liquid in my history that I threw in the garbage. And this was watermelon. Ah, <laughs> this was, but still, I, I started, of course, I started vaping with the Marlboro taste. Because I'm a real man. I mean, I'm, I'm cool. Huh? But meanwhile, I'm vaping basically, yeah, some... Yeah, basically most, most of the cases strawberry. Yeah. Do you think the politicians understand that the tobacco taste is also a flavor? No, they do don't they understand, understand it. I, I did some, some reports on, on, on flavors, so because, and then I get, get the ingredients, the analysis from certified labs, and I had to write toxicological reports on that. And what I learned from that is that the tobacco flavors are the most complex flavors. They contain 60 to 70 single compounds while a strawberry flavor contains maybe 10. Yeah? So the most complex flavors are tobacco flavors. But many people don't understand it. In, in the United States, they often refer to the tobacco flavor. These cigarettes is unflavored. So they are flavored is mango and strawberry and, and orange. Yeah? And unflavored is tobacco. But this is, of course, absolutely unjustified. That's simply wrong. So at least when it comes to flavors, there's a lot of uh, misinformation and not enough knowledge out there. Probably, yes. But I, I often compare it with ice cream. Do you want to eat unflavored ice cream that would be eating snow? <laughs> and even adults, adults like strawberry or chocolate ice cream, yeah? not only children. We actually protested the flavor ban in the Netherlands with exactly that idea. And we handed out uh, flavorless ice cream and filmed the reaction of, of adults, obviously. And they were like, oh, what is this? And then we gave them a flavored ice cream and we found out adults like flavors yeah. too. Of course, you need to make e-cigarettes as attractive as possible. I always suggested to, to not put a tax on them, but to reduce pr prices, you know? At least we, we shouldn't, shouldn't put tax on e-cigarettes. We should try to make it cheaper. To, there must be incentives for smokers. 
And the particular problem is the, uh, in that our smokers are in the low social range. Yeah? They don't have money. Yeah? And for them, the costs of smoking versus uh, vaping, this would be a big incentive if you make vaping cheaper. They would, would have a good argument to switch to vaping just to save money. Yeah, regulate and tax it according to risk. That yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, of course, I mean, then we end up with 1% to 5% risk as compared to tobacco, <laughs> and I don't think that it would be worth, worth the effort. <laughs> so then it's tax-free. <laughs> of course tax-free. Of course tax-free. And with all that in our minds, what do you think can or should consumers do, or can they do anything against all this madness? No, consumers just can ignore the warnings and, try and do their best to switch. I suggest every smoker to simply try it. And it's not only e-cigarettes, it's also the big, um, um, heated, heated tobacco products, yeah? like Icos from BAT, there's also one. It doesn't matter what you use, but just try. I know people who didn't make it for some reason with e-cigarettes, uh, with the classical e-cigarettes, but they, they succeeded with the tobacco, tobacco heating system. So whatever they use, but try to get rid of smoking and, and switch, and you will see that you can still inhale your, your, your uh, something, and you feel something, and you exhale something, and you have the same feeling like smoking. And you will realize within a couple of weeks that you don't need cigarettes anymore. I mean, makes sense. People are different, so they need different options. Different and options. The more options and yeah, if yeah. they make it with, with nicotine chewing gums, okay. It's, everything is okay. When they do it with a stress ball, it's okay. Whatever, whatever fits their needs. Yeah. But turns out that vaping is one of the most successful or most effective ways yeah. to quit yeah. smoking. So where, do you, where would you say is vaping in 10 years? Or where, where would you see the... How would you see the future of this? This is my, my story. You can read my book there. I explained it too. In 2006, when I, when I was shown the first e-cigarette, it was imported from China, the Ruyan model. Yeah? I just tried it. I was a heavy smoker at that time. I just tried it, and my prognosis was within 15 years, smoking will be eradicated worldwide and re being replaced by vaping because there's no reason when you have this device and it was a poor performance device. I mean, it was in 2006. But still, if you have such a device, you don't need an, a tobacco cigarette anymore. So obviously I failed, because it would have been in 2021. I said it would, would stop. Why did I fail? Because there was this opposition. We already talked about it. I informed, immediately informed anti-smoking organizations about this new invention, that were, this device that was invented in China hoping that they were, would all be glad and would embarrass this. In contrast, I got shitstorms. I, I got very, very hard mails back claiming that I'm crazy and we, that, we, that makes, makes the stop of smoking even more difficult and so on. And this opposition got worse and worse and is still there. And I don't know why. I, st I didn't understand it 15 years ago and I still don't understand it. Yeah? So with this slightly pessimistic out view, <laughs> uh, we, would do, we would try to have another segment with a word wrap. Uh, oh. <laughs> so I, I, I read you out a word or a phrase, and you just tell us what um, comes up in your mind. Let's start with an easy one. Michael Bloomberg. 
Dirty money. Free base or salt nicotine? No difference. Tobacco products directive? Bullshit. <laughs> Vaping epidemic? Bullshit. Hon Leak? Great man. Tobacco flavor? We talked about this a bit already. Very tasty. Michael Russell? Oh, great man again. Nicotine overdose? Never happens. Smoke-free future? Would be fine, but this unlikely. And finally, World Vape Day? Absolutely great. Fantastic. I think that's a wrap. <laughs> thank, thank you for being us with beer. <laughs> It was a pleasure. Thank you. It's a strange world out there.